This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Just about every child loves to draw, but at some point, many of us got discouraged. Maybe you thought your pictures didn't turn out the way you wanted, or that the kid sitting next to you was so much better than you were. I know it happens because, well, it happened to me. Graphic novelist and former Chicagoan Linda Berry believes that anyone can make comics. And to back that up, she's put out a book called Making Comics. It's a guide to comic storytelling drawn from her own classroom curriculum. Berry is one of this year's MacArthur Fellowship Award winners, also known as the MacArthur Genius Grants. And she's an associate professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Berry says that she created her book to remind people of all ages that there's no right or wrong in art and that you shouldn't let fear stand in the way of your creativity. One of the things that I run into over and over again when people find out I'm a cartoonist is people saying they wish they could draw. You know, and it's a wish that doesn't go away. And I got really interested in um, looking at comics as a way to change that because I don't, not everybody can draw like Michelangelo right. or draw representationally. But pretty much everyone can make comics. And You know, we call the letters of the alphabet characters. It's because we learned to draw them. And um, for a lot of us, when we were little, they even had personalities and numbers, too. So I got interested in how comics sort of leap over the problem. Most people quit drawing at about the age of eight, eight or nine. Usually it's an encounter with an adult who wasn't very smart or sensitive. But also it's when a kid realizes they can't draw a nose. That's it. When I read that line in your book, you Uh said around the age of nine or ten, you realize, and and that was exactly my experience. I couldn't draw a nose or hands or a house in three dimensions. I couldn't. I couldn't figure out how to do that. And so my ideas about art as um, these realistic representations that I couldn't recreate, it really turned me off. Do you hear that a lot from your students? I do. And one of the beautiful things about comics is comics leaps right over that problem. You wouldn't want Charlie Brown or Bart Simpson with a hyper-realistic <laughs> nose and hands. I mean, that'd be kind of a horror comic, right? right? It's Comics are, are these small little marks that really speak to the part of us that was sort of built to recognize upright faces mm-hmm. And gestures and upright bodies and also recognize moods. So one of the things I love to show my students is how you can draw a face like a very simple, even a stick figure face, neutral face. And then if you just take those eyebrows and point them like in a V toward the nose, it will make that character look furious like in a minute. And so I thought, what if I can give people just the very 
basic, very basic language. And I can, I found that I can show people in about three minutes a very basic way to draw a figure and then show that they can start to make that figure move and do all these different things. And when I was at the university, I went there because I was so interested in this problem. And by chance, I ended up being able to work with a lot of four-year-olds. And four-year-olds are people who can do pretty much everything we can do, except they can't write rapidly. Mm-hmm. Drawing and writing haven't split for them yet. So I got really interested in being with people for whom drawing and writing hadn't split. And that's when I started to recognize drawing as a natural native language for human beings. We use our hands. We hold something that makes a mark. We make a mark. And so the advantage of being able to speak another language is huge. And I think that part of the reason why people long to draw, wish they could draw, partly is a memory Hmm. of being able to do that very thing. Well, you talk about in your book about being told early on that that you couldn't draw. But Mm -hmm. I mean, here you are. (laughs) How did you overcome that message? Because of comics. If you just look at any comic, you start to see that it's made up of these little pieces. And even if I can't draw representationally, I can. I actually can draw representationally. I don't like drawing representationally as much as I love drawing freaky little comics. Why not? Because the comics surprise me. They feel like I'm in a dialogue with something that's a little bit out of my control. And they crack me up, like to be able to crack yourself up. It's these little – I always think of it as an ordinary superpower. Um, One of the things I love to ask people to do right away when we first get together is to close their eyes – Set a timer for a minute and close your eyes and draw for the whole minute and draw me a bacon and egg breakfast with silverware and coffee with your eyes closed. And everyone who does it starts laughing. <laughs> and then when they open their eyes, they're always shocked. There's the bacon and egg. I mean, it's, you really can't mess that up. And I watch the room just explode, people laughing. And then I ask them to close their eyes and do the same thing and draw a mermaid. Mermaid's going to look really different because once you lift your pen and you can't remember where her head is and you're trying to put her face somewhere or where her coconut shell bra is. Right. But that makes you laugh in a different way. And I found that the mood that people the, – the ability for a comic – making a comic to change your mood with just an index card and a flare pen in a minute – that's interesting. You know, that's interesting. I don't get that same feeling when I'm trying to, like you said, draw a representational drawing of a house that has the proper perspective. You know, that to me is a, a, a it's a completely different kind of drawing. You know, just like there are a lot of different languages, those are two different languages of drawing. Well, the book is structured as as a graphic novel. So you have illustrations of your own, you have illustrations from your students. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot, there is a lot of humor in that, And I wonder how much of it in your teaching practice is about getting people to sort of disconnect the self-consciousness that they may have around what they're able to produce. Yeah, well, that the, the book is structured like a cookbook in a funny way. Oh, you know Be- what? You're, yeah. yeah. Because it tells you, you know, remember those cookbooks that it, I hate to cook, but you can make this in, in 15 minutes, <laughs> right. right? So I wanted to make a book that showed what you can do in 20 minutes what the materials are. And I really wanted to make a book for teachers who wanted to teach comics but didn't feel confident about their own drawing. Mm. So I thought, what if I could make this book that would be for teachers, but also for anybody who wanted to pretend that I was their teacher? Because I have all that information about how I grade and how I feel about Mm. attendance and where you're supposed to sit. But mainly it's little exercises that um, over the last 
eight years at the university um, and teaching elsewhere that I found just really work for people. And they're also the ones that I do all the time. I just did one of them this morning. I like to show different ways of keeping a diary. You know how when we start keeping a diary, we're all excited. I'm going to write this every day. Remember when you're li- when you're like when you're like 14, you think I'm going to be able to do that. It lasted about a week right. and a half. Yeah, because who are you keeping it for? And if you don't know who you're keeping it for, what do you write down? Do you write down everything? Do you write down mostly people just write down what they're angry about or, or worried about? But what if you just kept a diary by? drawing yourself as Batman in four different scenes that you happened to be in yesterday. So it's Batman doing the laundry, Batman getting on a bus. It's you, but it's Batman, and you're just doing your ordinary stuff. And you only have to spend three minutes for each panel. So that's 12 minutes of drawing. Mm -hmm. But it's surprising what starts to happen. What starts to happen is, one, you start to remember things about the day before. Two, in the day that you're in, you start to look for things to put in your diary. And that's what a diary is about. A diary is about being awake in the world that you're in. It sounds like there's something in this practice that helps you be more present. Yes. Isn't what, that what we want? I mean, so, I mean, I think when we, so often when we think about expressing ourselves, we think about doing it through language. What is it about art, about drawing that brings you to that place? There's something that's a little bit out of control, and it's also really fast, and there's a potential for surprise. So it's the very thing that people are struggling against. Oh, this nose doesn't look right. It's hilarious what that nose looks like. Instead of saying it doesn't look right, it's like I was drawing with a four-year-old, and he wanted me to draw Darth Vader. So you think I'd be able to draw Darth Vader, right? I'm trying to draw Darth Vader, and Darth Vader has that mask across his mouth. But the way I draw it, it looks like Darth Vader's laughing which Darth Vader never does. And we both just fell over laughing at this picture I accidentally drew of Darth Vader laughing. So that's what I mean. It's like, it's like a live performance. There's something live about it. And also, I've just found over and over and over again, everybody can do it. Everybody. I, can't, I haven't met somebody yet. They don't necessarily – they're not necessarily happy while they're doing it, but um, not always because people have a tendency to dislike their work and want to destroy it. That's the other thing that, about drawing that's really interesting is how shamed people are about it. The way they respond to their drawings is sort of like the way I'd respond if a sudden bodily fluid just flew out of me. <laughs> you know, that urge to like, I'm so sorry, and cover it up and yeah. – But what's interesting is the idea of if it is a language, and I believe it is, might it allow you to say something that you can't just say in your regular spoken language? There are some personal stories in the book, including one about your uncle who developed uh, mental health issues, and you both drew comics alongside each other. What do you find that's special or powerful in that act of drawing together? Drawing together, particularly a kid and an adult drawing together, for me has been probably the most rich and interesting thing that I've discovered. It's drawing for mutual benefit. So kids love adults. I mean, kids really respect adults. So if you're drawing, one of the things I like to have uh, my students do, and I like to have my students work with four-year-olds, is I have them draw side by side, or I'll do this with a four-year-old. The four-year-old leads, and I try to copy that drawing in real time, doing exactly what the four-year-old is doing, including holding my non-dominant hand in the way that they're doing it. So two things start to happen. One, 
this four-year-old starts to see their drawing coming out of my hand, this adult hand. It makes them very excited. They also get to boss me quite a lot. <laughs> the other thing that starts to happen is my hand starts to move in a way that I can't do on my own. I'm too old. But this four-year-old can walk me right back into that. They also have really amazing drawing tips. They'll tell you things like, I'll say, well, my, my university students are afraid to draw hands. And they'll go, oh, hands are easy. It's just a snowball, thumb, 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 thumb. Or I say they're afraid to draw ears. And they'll go, no, ears are easy. It's the letter C with a question mark in it. Huh. So they have figured out all of these things that really are cartooning solutions. When you think about the role comics and drawing – the role it's played in your life? Oh, man. It's been my uh, – it saved my life. I'd say it actually saved my life. I was thinking about – I'm 63. I'm going to be 64 very soon. And I was drawing this morning and I woke up. You know how it's gray out. I'm gray inside. It's November. And um, I just started drawing myself four scenes from yesterday as Batman. And by the end of it, I mean in 12 minutes, I felt completely different. Mm-hmm. And that I could do it with just a pen and a composition notebook, you know. So that's – especially right now where things just feel so grim, this idea that you might have something in your pocket that's not your phone, yeah. about the size of your phone, <laughs> a little index card mm-hmm. that you might be able to use to transform your mood or make you start to pay attention to the world ar- around you. What is it like for you when you are working with your students and you have someone who maybe started off saying, I can't do this, I can't draw – I'm not good at it. And by the end of that process, they see themselves differently. Oh, that's like the joy of teaching. But it's, there's, that's the reason I'm doing this. I've seen that happen over and over again. But my favorite story is um, I had a student named Ebony Flowers, Dr. Ebony Flowers now. When I met her, she was not drawing at all. She was beginning her, a master's program in curriculum and education Four years, five years later, she made academic history by doing her dissertation in comics form. And it's a dissertation everybody, like, enjoys reading. <laughs> um, and it also adds this dimension to the dissertation that the, even the, her advisors and other people didn't know that, that that could be there. And she just had her book, her first book published by Drawn and Quarterly. So it's called Hot Comb. It's a really good book. But I saw that over and over again, these people just taking this language and then being able to express themselves and say things that they couldn't say. You know, it's the difference between talking about what a guitar solo sounds like and listening to a guitar solo. They're two different things. And so watching these people be able to play, you know. That's Linda Berry, cartoonist and 2019 MacArthur Genius Grant winner. She's the author of the new book, Making Comics. Linda, thanks so much for speaking with us. You have encouraged me to try again. Well, I hope you will. It's very, very fun. It's good for you. And your hand will be so happy to have a voice. And that's today's Reset. If you know a person or an organization that's making a real difference in your community, we'd love to hear about it. Leave a message on our hotline at 888-915-9945. That's 888-915-9945. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And let's talk again soon. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. 
NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.